I'm Ashley. I'm Jen. And I'm Sarah. And we are Unabridged, the podcast where teachers take on books. Join us each week for bookish episodes and check out our website, unabridgedpod.com, where you can find lots of new bookish content every week. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at unabridgedpod and message us there or see our website to get plugged into the unabridged community. You want opinions about books? We've got them. and welcome to Unabridged. This is episode 212. Today we are coming at you with one of our annual episodes. This is one that we all fret a bit about, but also (laughs) (laughs) appreciate sharing with you because we all know how much we love to hear other people's thoughts about the books they read over the year. So this is our Unabridged Awards. We decided when we first started doing these that we did not feel that we could have a top book or top three. So instead we give awards to books and we give specific awards based on what that book brought for us. So we have some picks for you for that. Before we get started with that today, I just wanted to remind you that as we're going into the new year, if you are looking for some fun things to buy for 2022, we have a Tee Public store and we have a lot of fun stuff in there. We have lots of things that have our logos on them, but then we also have things that just have our bookish hearts or that have other fun slogans from the podcast and fun things that we've said that we have some designs for those. So if you want to check that out, you can just go to unabridgedpod.com and under support us. Us, there's a tab for unabridged merch and that is where you can see our tea public store and do keep an eye out they run deals pretty frequently there so if you're interested in purchasing something then just keep an eye out for their deals and you can get some really good prices that way and i know we all love the tote bags so if you're looking for something mm-hmm. specific each of us love those i use those all the time the hoodie is another really big favorite for the three of us so yeah <laughs> i am wearing my hoodie right now <laughs> <laughs> All right, before we get to our awards, we wanted to share our bookish check-in. Jen, what are you reading? So this will be a running thing on the podcast for a little while. I am reading a book for the Tournament of Books, which happens in March. It's run by the Morning News, and they do a book bracket. If you haven't followed it before, it's a lot of fun. They have different authors and publishers and just bookish people choose a winner each week. And so the book I'm reading is Mona Awad's All's Well. I'm listening to this one and it is fabulous on audio. So the premise is Miranda Fitch is a college theater professor and she deals with chronic pain. So when she was an actress on the stage, she fell off of a stage during a performance. And ever since she has dealt with just crippling back and hip pain She has seen every kind of doctor, every kind of therapist. She has tried everything and it has just consumed her life to the point that that pain is the center of her world. So she has this job that she got after her injury because she could not be on stage anymore. And one of her responsibilities every year is to direct a Shakespeare play. And so for this year, she has chosen All's Well That Ends Well, which ironically was the play that she was performing in when she fell. And she really loves her performance in that play. But the students who are acting in the play do not want to do All's Well That Ends Well. They want to do Macbeth because there is a competition and they feel like Macbeth has more drama. And there's one student who she really wants to be Lady Macbeth. Her family is extremely wealthy. They donate a lot of money to the college. And so Miranda has basically been told that she is to do whatever this girl, whose name is Brianna, wants. And she doesn't want to. She wants to do All's Well That Ends Well. She feels like that's a play that other people don't do. So in addition to the pain, which I have to say, Awa does a really brilliant job describing that. It is horrifying, but it is well-written. You see her having this professional conflict as well. So, okay, and this is where it gets weird, and then I'm going to stop. So one night after work, Miranda has had a horrible day called the Golden. Let me see if I can find it. I'll just say. And she gets this drink, and everything gets a little fuzzy, and there are these three strange men. And let me just say there's a lot of allusion here to the three hags in Macbeth. And 
strange things happen. And the next day Miranda wakes up and she feels a little bit better and her life starts turning around. (laughs) So there is this, I'm not really sure what's happened. I'm not sure how much of it is in Miranda's head, but professionally, personally, romantically, everything just shifts after this weird, surreal encounter with these three very eccentric men. And yeah, so it's a really strange book and I am absolutely loving it. I have no idea what the resolution is going to be. I don't know if it's going to be, and it was all a dream or if there's actual magic. Anyway, I'm loving it. So the the narration is great. This is my first book by Awad, but I know she has some others that I've seen on Bookstagram that people really love. So I think I'll be reading more of her work. So that is Mona Awad's All's Well. That sounds awesome. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> sounds right yeah. up my alley. I think really you would fun. absolutely love it. Yeah. And it's really fast. Like it's a pretty fast listen. And it's one of those where I'm choosing to listen instead of to pick up my print book, which is always a good sign that I'm really captivated by an audio book. So, yeah. Man, that sounds great. Sarah, what about you? What are you reading? So I have a, I've had a little bit of a struggle reading lately. So I've been mostly flipping through my cookbooks because I, that's something I enjoy and brings me, it's kind of like my comfort is cooking and all of that. So for our unabridged festive happy hour, Susie, who is at Stories and Stitching, she had my name. Uh, we did a book swap and she bought me the cozy Christmas movie cookbook, mouth-watering food to enjoy during your favorite holiday films. And even though the holidays have passed us by a bit, it's still, I feel still that I'd like to look at this book. Basically what it is, it's recipes and then it gives you the holiday movie that it was inspired by. And I just, I like looking at it and it just brings me joy and the cover is just so festive. And so I, that's what I've been reading lately. I've just kept that by my chair and I just flipped through it some. So it's really quite lovely if you like that sort of thing. That sounds like so much fun. And you know, I don't love to cook, but I'm so intrigued by the movie part. (laughs) (laughs) What movies does it have? Does it have any favorites? Is Love Actually in there? Oh, I didn't look for Love Actually, um, but I do think it's a lot of the Hallmark movies. But um, I haven't looked at every single one. But if if Love Actually is in there, then I will tear out that page. (laughs) Just kidding. For listeners who don't know, you should listen to our Love Actually episode where we debate whether it's a holiday movie. Well, and we just re it. and we just reran that in December, so it is, it is in it is in there. It is rec- a recent release, so and the debate <laughs> continues. I, I feel like we need to resurrect it every so often. Yeah. <laughs> so that is Holly Carpenter's "The Cozy Christmas Movie Cookbook: Mouthwatering Food to Enjoy During Your Favorite Holiday Films." That sounds amazing. <laughs> I look forward to flipping through that one as well. I would love to see your copy. That sounds really yeah. cool. Ashley, what are you reading? So I, this is one that I absolutely just had to have. So I, people who've been listening a long time know that I do not often purchase books, but I did buy this one outright. And this is Allie Hazelwood's The Love Hypothesis. And I was interested in this one anyway. Like I had heard that it was about math and romance. And so that was kind of an interesting angle. The cover is really captivating. So that had kind of caught my attention too. And I've just heard so many good things about it. And then Jen said that it was out and out, just a really great read. And I have been looking for that. So I did dive into that just recently. And it is, it's fascinating right from the start, the, the opening scene really grabs your attention. So right at the beginning, Olive is a PhD candidate. She is in the grind of the PhD program. And we see how early on, we see how grueling all of that is for her. But this is not the very opening scene, but very early on, like the cover, there there is an unexpected kiss that is initiated (laughs) by her. And so with a man in the room. And she does this, we find out quickly, because her beloved best friend on is interested in somebody she had dated in the past and she's trying to help that work out for her friend and in her attempt to do that she says she's dating someone else and then she tries to prove that to be true and so in this kind of frantic and impulsive moment she 
can, <laughs> kind of kind of assaults this guy in the room and she she does say can i kiss you before she kisses him but then and she thinks he said yes but all of it's kind of blurry <laughs> and then she plants this giant kiss on his mouth and like you see on the cover it's like shocking to him and yet this situation happens and of course immediately she realizes that she's made this terrible mistake and that she will always look back and think what on earth was i thinking but that happens and that gets things rolling well as soon as she gets past that moment she realizes that it is a, a professor in the department and not only that but he is supposed to be a real jerk and so she looks up and she realizes who the person is and feels immediately like she's made this horrible mistake well events unfold from there and for mutual reasons they basically agree to a fake dating relationship and listeners know that i absolutely <laughs> love this trope in romances and so when i realized that was what was unfolding i was even more excited about reading this but anyway it is it turns out that for him as well there are some reasons that would be great for him to put up a front that he has a relationship so that he seems a bit more stable invested planning to stay where he is and so things kind of unfold from there and i am absolutely loving it i'm still pretty early on but i both love the depiction of what grad school is like i was on the partner side of supporting my husband when he got his phd and it was grueling and so i just think that a lot of what's depicted for all of here resonates with what it's like i mean both the financial situation of phd students and also just kind of the conditions and what what those programs can be like and yet people do them when they are really dedicated to the end goal. And that's definitely true for Olive. So we see that in the beginning that she is suffering through this. She knows she's suffering through it, but she also is really focused on her end goal and on this question that she really feels that she, the research that she could potentially do and is working to do could be something that no one else can do and that could really change the world and bring about meaningful results. And so I love all of that. I love seeing that part of Olive. And right away, I'm really captivated by Adam Carlson as the professor. And I'm captivated by him because we see immediately as readers that there is a contrast between who he must be and who everyone perceives him to be. And I think that is really fascinating and I always love that in books. And so I think we're seeing that unfold, that he is not the person, his, his personality does not actually match his reputation. And yet some of his personality results in people, you know, making all these assumptions about him. So I'm loving it. It's great. And it is a perfect fit for me right now. So that is Allie Hazelwood's The Love Hypothesis. I love that book so much. It is one of my favorite romances I've read this year. I just absolutely loved everything about it. I could read it again right now. It made me so happy. And I feel like it does deal with some serious issues, which I like in a romance. But yeah, I love that. I have that on my shelf right now. I haven't started it, but it looks great. Oh, Sarah, I can't wait to hear what you think. I think you'll really <laughs> yeah. love it. I do too. Yeah. It's a fabulous read. Well, listeners, we are going to dive right in here to our unabridged awards. These are, as I mentioned in the beginning, awards that we are giving for 2021. They are not necessarily our very top reads from the year. We all are too intimidated by rankings to try to <laughs> to try to say that one is like an overall winner but instead they are among our top reads for the year and they are ones that we're going to give specific awards to and we wanted to share a couple with you that are overall awards for us and then each of us will also share a YA pick from the year so sarah do you want to start us off sure so my first award is for best backlist read for the win. And that is going to be one of a one of our podcast favorite authors, Taylor Jenkins Reed. And after I read some of her more recent books, I went on the hunt for her backlist because I, I just love the way she writes. And so this year I read One True Loves and I adored it. It was so good. And I was so 
impressed with the way that she was able to weave this narrative in such a really thoughtful way and with a very satisfying conclusion. So this is about Emma. When she was in her 20s, she married her high school sweetheart and they have a really wonderful life together. They travel together. Um, Her husband, Jesse, is a photographer. So they really travel all over. And so on their first wedding anniversary, Jesse decides to go for a photo shoot on a helicopter and his helicopter goes down and they don't recover his body. And for all that Emma knows, he has died. And so two years later, she has finally kind of come to terms with that and met a really wonderful guy named Sam who she really loves. And then Jesse comes back. He had been living on this island and all this happens very quickly in the book. And so it is basically about Emma finding her way with this love she thought she had lost. And then this new love that she found in the wake of this horrible tragedy that she had to live through. And it is just such a good book. I actually, my mom has also been having a reading slump and I was, I told her I had given her one true loves a while back and it was on her shelf. And I said, I really think you should give it a try because it's pretty, it moves so fast. It's pretty captivating from the beginning. And she actually just last week was like, I got through that book and I just loved it so much. So, I mean, it's just a book. It sounds like it's really sad and in parts it is very emotional, but like I said, Taylor Jenkins Reid has this really uh, amazing ability to weave a story where even though there's a lot of struggle in it, that end is satisfying. And it's hard to know that premise, right? <laughs> like what that I've described to you and know that there's going to be a satisfying conclusion, but it might not be what you want, but it is satisfying. So it, it is a great book. I really recommend that. And I, I just love her and I think she's an amazing author. So that's my first one. And then my second book, so I think if you've listened this year, this 2021, you know that I've read a lot of nonfiction this year and a lot of things trying to help myself be better, more educated, and just to rethink some of the things in my life. So one of the books that I found so impactful, and I talked about it it last summer is Rachel Held Evans inspired slaying giants, walking on water and loving the Bible again. And what I thought was so impactful about this book is the way that she examines her faith and also the Bible, which is you is, which is often weaponized in our country. And I think that what she does so well in this book is allows you to hold on to your faith and your beliefs, but also allows you to think of the Bible as a living, breathing document. I think what she does really well is shows how as Christians or as people who are want to be aware of religion and faith, that we can use the Bible as a document for guidance, but that it is not meant to be taken out of context or, and sometimes taken literally word for word. So I I really enjoyed that. I thought it helped me re-examine myself and my faith and how I can better use the Bible as a guidebook and apply it to my life in 2021 when this was a book that was written centuries and centuries ago. So I really thought that was very impactful for me. And I just, and I love her. She is such an amazing author. And it was also very bittersweet reading it because she passed away not that long ago. And so I just, I really loved it. And I thought that it was very impactful for me as a reader this year, last year, 2021. I love Sarah following your journey of all the nonfiction that you read in 2021. And I mean, this one sounds so inspiring and to me, the others that you read as well. And I think one of the things I really loved hearing you reflect on is how even when the nonfiction authors were talking, had different perspectives from your own, how that was really enriching to you. And I think sometimes it's hard for me to do well, but I was just really inspired by that. I think it's really cool to like read things and have perspectives that sometimes encourage you and sometimes are just challenge what you think. And I think you were so receptive to that this last year. And I was really like, oh, I need to read more nonfiction in my life, which I think is such a fun thing about 
reading and reading communities is the way that we get to see not only our own trends, but like trends of other people and how like, yeah, it's cool to read more stuff and to see how that can, trying a new genre can really have a big impact. That's cool. I think too, like what I appreciate so much about the podcast is it does push me to read outside of my comfort zone. And I mean, I think also I grew up in a very small town. And so a lot of times I felt like as I grew up, things are kind of black and white, just in the, the overarching community, things are like either this way or that way. There's no like gray area. And so I think what the podcast and reading more broadly has brought to my life is the ability and the the yearning to learn more about things that are not just even if it's not my pers- like you said my perspective that it might I I want to know what other people's thoughts are and why they think that way because I think that broadens my understanding and makes me a better human actually so yeah yeah, yeah. and That's I think amazing. it's something mm-hmm. I do too because I think it's something that I mean we all of us have been living through in America the way that's that mm-hmm. that has been we've been going the opposite way yeah. in our country for sure in recent times and it is just really hard and the more contentious things become the harder it is to hear another side but I think you're absolutely right Sarah that doing that and training yourself to do that is just really fulfilling and important, important work. Well, Jen, what about your awards? What were your picks? I was like, this is such a perfect segue to one of the books I chose. And this is a nonfiction book I think everyone should read to think about our history and our present in the United States. It is Clint Smith's How the Word is Passed, A Reckoning with the History of Slavery Across America. And I will say I read a lot of really great nonfiction this year. And maybe it's recency bias because I read this one in November but it has really stuck with me and I am still thinking about the journey Smith takes. So basically he grew up in New Orleans and so he grew up deep in the South and surrounded by the remnants of slavery, but it was sort of this casual knowledge and he decides that he wants to explore that very intentionally He explores eight locations in the United States that had something to do with slavery. So some of them are plantations. He actually begins the book in Monticello, which for those of us in Virginia feels very, very close. And basically at each location, he definitely does a deep dive into history, but there's also a central conversation that he has at each location. So he is thinking about these places as tourist attractions and the stories that each place tells mindfully. What what story have they decided to tell? And often he is the only Black person in the crowd of people there. And so he's interested also in how his presence shapes the story that they are telling. Or different tour guides will tell different stories. And he will have conversations with other people who have come to that location. So like at Monticello, He speaks to two women who have made the journey there and did not know about Thomas Jefferson's history as a slave owner. And so he's just contending with the way we teach history, the way we talk about history, all through this personal lens. So he is acknowledging that his lens is a personal one and that everyone sort of views history through that way and how the stories you hear shape the way you view. Anyway, it is is complex. It is fascinating. There are things that I knew that he made me think about differently. And there were things I absolutely did not know. He also goes to Africa and he views one of the sites where slaves were sold before their journey to the United States. Yeah. I mean, it is just a really thorough book and yet the content is heavy, but it never felt like a heavy read because of the way it's written So it actually was really accessible. It is a book that I would definitely consider rereading again. And I'm sure that I would see more, but because of the way he writes it, it just moved through and it it felt like we were on the journey with him. Anyway, I cannot say enough about the book. I thought it was really powerful, really important. It asked really important questions and sometimes it had answers and sometimes it just doesn't. And the question is enough. So yeah, that is Clint Smith's how the word is passed, a reckoning with the history of slavery across America. That sounds like one that I want on my list for this year. Yeah, me too, Jen. I had heard good things about it, but then hadn't heard that level of detail. That just sounds really fascinating. 
Yeah. An important. It's a powerful book. Yeah. Mm-hmm, definitely. So the other one that I'm choosing is another book that had me thinking a lot. I will say I read a lot of light reads over the course of the year. So I definitely was not in this deep contemplation state all the time. I don't want to misrepresent my reading. But another book, I'm calling this a book that still has me thinking about everything, is Kazuo Ishiguro's Clara and the Sun. And I read this one a while back in the summer, and every time I think about it, I have such feelings of affection for it, and yet it also engages my brain just as much. So the book centers on basically a robot that is created to be a companion to children in the future U.S., And in this future, children are genetically modified to make them smarter. But with that operation comes a risk that it will also make the children ill. And Clara, this robot, it begins with her in the store waiting for someone to buy her. And I will say there is more than one time during the reading this book that I thought about Toy Story and There are a lot of parallels there that some of it's a spoiler, but I will just say there are a lot of parallels there, especially with Toy Story 2. But anyway, so at the beginning, Clara is there waiting for someone to buy her and she has a limited view of the world outside of the store. But one thing she can see is the sun. And for Clara, she gets energy from the sun. It's like a solar panel kind of situation. So the sun is like her God. And she sees the sun as this being who is healing and life-giving. And anyway, that plays into the book later. But so it asks so many interesting questions because eventually Clara is purchased by a family whose daughter is ill because they chose to get the daughter the surgery. So she's brilliant, but ill. It's a world where children go to school virtually. And so they don't interact with other children face-to-face. And so these companions are supposed to sort of socialize them because they don't see other kids. But the girl who ends up buying Clara has a friend whose parents chose not to have the surgery for him. And so you also see this deep inequity that has entered society that parents who choose not to have the surgery for their kids are preserving their health, but there's this risk that they will be treated differently for the rest of their lives. I mean, it is, if your brain is exploding, there's a reason. So in school this year, we taught, uh, one of my teachers and I co-taught Frankenstein, and we had the students watch the movie Gattaca, the old sci-fi movie Gattaca. And I feel like I could teach these three texts, the film and the two books together, because the questions they ask about what it means to be human, how much just because you can do something, should you? What does it mean to improve people with science? When is it too far? I mean, yeah, the the discussions are just endless. So yeah, and Ishiguro, I love, if you haven't read his work before, he has written sci-fi before. He also wrote The Remains of the Day, which is brilliant historical fiction. He just won the Nobel Prize for literature. He is a brilliant writer. But what amazes me about him is that he can have this amazing writing about these deep topics. And yet it is so readable. And I love Clara so much. And her love for people is beautiful. And the way that she tries to take care of those around her is just a beautiful thing in the book. So yeah, I have all the thoughts, all the feelings about Kazuo Ishiguro's Clara and the Sun. Wow, that sounds really, really good. I had no idea what that was about. That's what I was going to say, too, is that I had seen things about it, and I love Ishiguro, but I had also seen a lot of mixed reviews about this one, and I just wasn't quite in a place where I wanted to take on something that seemed like it was going to be heavy, but I had no idea she was a robot. So, like, that is immediately, I was really fascinated by that, because I think those kinds of perspectives are just so unique and really interesting to consider. So, yeah, that makes me really want to grab hold of that one. Yeah. And there are even deeper issues that are spoilers that, and even some of what I said may be a spoiler, but I feel like you have to know some of that going in. I will say it is definitely more character than plot focused. And I think that's where the mixed reviews will come in. It's not a fast paced book at all, but I was so captivated by Clara's view of the world. And and I'm a patient reader. I'm okay with, with character focused books. So yeah, if you like plot focused books, this probably isn't for you, but the characters were richly drawn enough and the questions the book posed were enough that that didn't matter to me, but it definitely wouldn't be for every reader. All right, Ashley, what are you choosing today? 
So I did say to Jen and Sarah before we started that as a look back over 2021, it was really enlightening to see what I gravitated toward and away from. And I had to like push back some judgment about what I had read and not read. And I think (laughs) I just want to say that because I think it's important. I was telling them like I would never look at someone else's reading. Like I read a lot of times for joy and I read for the intention to keep reading. I would pick whatever would keep me going. And I mean, I've had a tremendous amount of upheaval. We've all had upheaval in the world since the pandemic started, but I have changed my job. I have built a new career. I moved two continents, not just one, but two over a seven month period with a five and seven year old. So I think I just have to have grace with myself about that and realize that the fact that I kept reading is an accomplishment And if I didn't have 20 books from the year that were all phenomenal reads that were really deeply impactful, then that is okay. But Mm -hmm. I did, I really had to talk myself through that as I was, (laughs) as I was looking for the awards. And it's not that there, there were a lot of books that I think I could give an award. There were a lot of books I absolutely loved. I had a lot of five-star reads, but I didn't read the quantity of weighty or you know, I mean, I always think of the AP lit term literary merit that I didn't read that quantity of books that I normally would. And so, you know, I I just had to work my way through that. I can I just say I yeah, I think that is such an important conversation to have. Like I appreciate Sarah at the beginning of the show and the bookish check in said right now I'm reading cookbooks because that is what is making me happy. And that is what I'm reading. And I've had several months this year where I predominantly read romances. And we've talked before about that. Why do I have to defend that? Right. Like why? Right. And, and I think we just, we are where we are. And I think when you look back on a year, you see trends, but of course, what you read over the course of the year is driven by what you want to read in a moment and That's not right. by what you want to look back on the year, having seen that you read. <laughs> and so I think we just have to read for the moment and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great point because that's exactly it. It's like, there are books that feel good to have read them, but that doesn't always mean it's the book that you're going to pick up and read. And I think that that, again, I would never pass that judgment on someone else, but I did want to acknowledge that I felt that for myself and just had to like think my way through it because I think that it's really important to, for ourselves and for each other as readers to just be like, you read what you love and you read what you love in the moment that you're loving it. And if something's not working, that's okay. But all that to say that two of my three picks were from the very beginning of the year. And so I did, that was part of how I realized it was that like a lot of, again, I read a lot of five-star reads, but when I was really thinking about like things that have stayed with me for a long time as a reader, which is often what I am looking for when I give an award that I didn't feel like I had as many more recently, which again, my family in the spring is when we left. And then for the rest of the year, we were gone. And so I think that that's just consistent with when you have major life changes, your reading's going to change. And I think that's okay. So one I wanted to share, I read at the very beginning of the year, and I'm giving it the award, the book that left a strong impression and deserves a reread. And that is Robert Jones Jr.'s The Prophets. And I found that book deeply impactful. I did a read with Tony Buddy Reed for that one and absolutely loved it. I always love Buddy Reads with her. I know Jen does them a lot and often speaks to that on the podcast. I don't do them as often just that I have trouble fitting in the buddy reads. I love doing the ones for our, for unabridged, but it feels like that's all I can take on right now. But anyway, every time I do them, I'm always really grateful with read with Tony because the discussions are just so brilliant and help me to understand and take on complex texts that I might not have read on my own. And that's definitely how I feel about the prophets. I was so glad that I read it at the center of this one is Isaiah and Samuel, and they are slaves on a plantation. And it is a love story. At its core, it is a love story between Isaiah and Samuel. And I think what I, one of the things I really loved, there were a lot of things I loved about this book, but one of the things that I loved the most was the way that they have such a pure and beautiful relationship amid such a horrifying setting. So we see the brutality of the plantation. We get to see inside. Another thing I really love about the prophets was the way that we got to see inside the minds of a lot of the characters. So we really could see the plantation owner and the, his wife. And the, you know we really could see like internal parts of those characters. And so I appreciated the way that Jones 
Jr. shows us all the different complexities and levels of things happening on the plantation, the ways that the different slaves are willing or not willing to position themselves at the expense of other slaves. There's definitely a lot of people who are willing to do cruel things to other slaves in order to better their own life or the lives of their families. And then there are other people who are not willing to do those things. I thought all of that was just so powerfully done because we both see these really very unique individual characters, but we also see this broader landscape of how horrifying the institution of slavery is and how that can play out for different characters and different people. And so I just thought it was beautifully done. I thought it was really powerful. I found the story really impactful. And then, like I said, I also loved the layering of Isaiah and Samuel's love and the ways that it was not understood by a lot of the people on the plantation. And yet the ways that they work so perfectly together, I think all of that was just so amazing. And it was, again, I think that the contrast was what was striking to me. That's what, you know, again, it's been months now since I've read it, the contrast between this beautiful love story and this horrifying setting was what I just thought was just so masterfully done. Yes. I wanted to read it again because I listened on audio and this is a complex book. So I absolutely loved it, but I feel like it definitely warrants a reread for me because there are things you discover as the book progresses that were I to read it again, I would love to see those, how that all fit together early on. So as things are revealed, working back through that again, I think I would find very satisfying, but also it was one that I just wanted, I, I loved the listening experience. The audiobook is really well done, but I would also really appreciate the reading. It's beautifully written. And so I think I would enjoy that on the print page. Mm -hmm. I love that book so much. And you're right. Like there is no way to dive into all of the meaning that one had on a, on a first read. It, it wouldn't. And I, I did a blend of audio and print and so I read the first half in print and then did the audio because I tried the audio at first and I just could not, I had a hard time following it. I felt like I needed to be grounded in the world first, but even so it's so rich and he's such an inventive writer that it's one of those that has layers upon layers yeah, upon layers. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So again, that was Robert Jones Jr.'s The Prophets and I read it very early on in the year, but definitely left strong impression and also deserves a reread. The other one I wanted to share for this round is I did a nonfiction book too. I also wanted to say oh, that we listeners did not <laughs> say that each person needed to pick a nonfiction book and a fiction book. But I know for me, I did read a lot more, not as much as Sarah proportionately to I think how much you normally read Sarah, but for me, I definitely read more than I normally do. It was nowhere, you know, still nowhere near half. I definitely very much prefer fiction, but I did do more this year and I enjoyed that. So this one is a nonfiction book that comments on what it's like living through this era. And that is John Green's The Anthropocene Reviewed. And I shared about this one, I guess for a bookish check-in. And I just absolutely loved it. I listened to it on audio. I enjoyed the listening experience, but the reason I wanted to give it an award was that I felt like someone was saying what it was like to experience the pandemic. And I think I needed someone to articulate that. And I think John Green does that really well. So of course his experience with the pandemic is unique to him and everybody is having different experiences and different layers of hurt as far as how we're impacted by it but just as far as kind of talking through that moment where things change from the before world to the after world and what that was like i just haven't read anything yet commenting on that i know things are starting to come out that are speaking to that experience but that was deeply impactful to me like right in the beginning he dives into that and i think that i just found it so moving i mean <laughs> I found it so moving that I thought I wasn't going to get through it for all the reasons I've already explained, <laughs> explained to you all about how our, my year was going and how basically if something made me tear up, I was pretty ready to stop. So that that was initially how I felt with this one. But I'm so glad I stayed with it because he talks about so many human experiences 
and things in our world in such a unique way. And it is something that has just come back. I mean, this one is more recent for me, but it since I have read it or listened to it, I think back on what he said so frequently. And again, I think that is the sign of an impactful book. It's just that moment. I mean, the other day, my five-year-old laid her arms on this poster paper and she traced her arm and then her hand on both sides. And then she colored in the top green and colored in her arms brown and made these trees. And there's a moment in the book where he talks about his very young child tracing their hand and the desire to leave a mark and to have permanence and how things like art endure even in the face of really horrific circumstances. And so I just think it's these moments that a lot of us experience in the everyday world, but he speaks to them in a really meaningful way, often that is researched and that connects to kind of larger things. And I just found all of it totally riveting. So again, nonfiction is sometimes a stretch for me. And especially if it is not a narrative, that's even harder for me to enjoy. And I think that's why I loved it so much and why I went into give it as an award is because I feel like that is not my style at all. And for a book to have a really deep impact that is in a format I do not usually do well with, I think is really remarkable. So I loved that one a lot. <laughs> and that was John Green's The Anthropocene Reviewed. Yeah, that was, I almost chose that as one of mine. And I boohooed my way through a lot of that book. And I just was starting to tear up when you were talking. So uh, the other day in my class, I played, so the book is based loosely on his podcast. And the other day I played that episode for my students, because we're starting a podcast unit, the a Capacity for Wonder. And he talks about a lot of things. It's a wide ranging, like 20 minute segment, but one of the things he talks about is the way we wear cynicism as armor and how brave it is to be sincere in your love for something. And he has this metaphor where he talks about a puppy turning its belly to the world. And then he says he wants to turn his belly to the world. And so he ends up giving sunsets, sorry, spoiler, but he ends up giving sunsets five stars because he says he wants to do away with the cynicism and just say, Sometimes that beauty is enough. Anyway, I just, my students, some of them did not love it, but some of them were deeply affected by it. And I just think that's his power for the right listener and the right reader. The way he expresses his thoughts about the world is just perfection. I, I love that so much. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like both like really unique, but also something that is so relatable. And I think that's what's powerful about it is I do think he has a very unique viewpoint and yet he's able to extend his hand to the listener and to the reader. And I know that's why we all love his fiction works as well, is just that way of telling a unique story, but also connecting to the human experience. And I think I've really seen that in his fiction, but for him to do it here in a very different way, but so effectively, yeah, it just really, it really left an impression on me. Whew, that feels like a journey. <laughs> <laughs> and we're only two thirds of the way through. <laughs> okay. So we are going to share our YA picks pretty quickly here, but we just wanted to, we all love young adult literature. We love middle grade. We also love picture books. I should say that we love all books that reach kids, but I know that all of us make considerable effort, both because we enjoy it and also because we think it's important to stay connected to young adult literature. So we wanted to each share one young adult pick that we give an award for whichever reason. So Jen, I'll let you grab this one first. So what was your pick? So I am sharing Maureen Johnson's Truly Devious as the book that made me fall in love with YA mysteries again. And let me just tell you, so I read a lot of YA, but a lot of times I'm reading contemporary realistic fiction or I love YA fantasy. It had been a while since I had read a YA mystery, I think for no good reason, just I hadn't picked one up. There was a Buddy Reed for Truly Devious. I love Maureen Johnson. And so I'd been wanting to read it. And I fell into this world. So it's about this place called Ellingham Academy. And it is this very exclusive kind of strange private school that was established early in the 20th century by this eccentric millionaire or billionaire, anyway, rich guy. And this series of events happened to his family. There's a murder, there's a missing child that had never been solved. So that's one part of the story. The other part takes place in the modern day. 
And there is a girl named Stevie Bell who wants to be an investigator and she is accepted to Ellingham Academy and her intention is to solve the crimes that happened, you know, like a hundred years ago. Oh my gosh. I just, I, I did review this trilogy on our website and it's so hard to articulate why I loved it so much. I think it's the characters. I think Maureen Johnson writes a great mystery. She uses all these multi-genre pieces. So you get like a transcript of an interview and, and just different compelling ways to bring you into the story and to make it feel immediate. But I think what did it for me is just Stevie is such a great character and I loved her so much. And she's a little bit of an outcast. She holds beliefs that are in total opposition to her parents. And she finds when she goes to Ellingham Academy, a place where she finally thinks she can fit in and watching that journey while she's also solving this really compelling mystery is just so much fun. It made me go pick up Holly Jackson's A Good Girl's Guide to Murder, which I'm two thirds of the way through that trilogy. I'm just in it for the YA mystery trilogies right now. <laughs> and I cannot recommend Maureen Johnson's Truly Devious trilogy enough. So yeah, that's my YA pick. Love that. Yeah, I love that first one. I haven't read the rest yet, but that's a good one. What about you, Sierra? What's your YA pick? I read some really great YA this year, but I'm going to go with Lake and Zia Kemp's Somewhere Between mm -hmm. Bitter and Sweet. I read that when it first came out, and then we also did it as a buddy read. And what I love about this book is that it brings a lot of my favorite things to the table. So one is learning about experiences unlike my own. One is a little bit of romance. And then the third is having this really robust community centered around food because we know I'm here for the food books. And <laughs> so this is about Penn. She has always dreamed of opening a pastry shop next to her father's restaurant. He runs a very, very popular restaurant called Nachos Tacos and their community. And what is so so cool about the restaurant is that he is like a hub for the community and he helps everybody that he can and he gives work to people who need work and he's just this like really prominent member of the community in terms of what he gives and how like what he gives of himself, not necessarily money, but like what he gives of himself and what he gives to his community and what he provides for the community. And then Xander is the other character and it's told in alternating perspectives and he is searching for a job and he gets a job opportunity at Nachos Tacos. I mean, there's just so much to this story. I really think that I don't want to give any spoilers, but there are so many different things that are explored and topics that are explored in this book for young people that I just thought it was so well done. I thought the story was great. I was really believable and you just fall in love with these characters and they're going through so much and they are dealing with so much in their community, but that the way that people come together, it just give, it just gave me hope that that still exists and that people can still come together and try to do something really remarkable. And I, I just really loved it. And I think it's an excellent book for young adult readers. And I also think that anybody that enjoys young adult literature, no matter your age, will think this book is great. I just loved it. So that is Lake and Zia Kemp, Somewhere Between Bitter and Sweet. Yes. 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 yes, I agree with everything you said. That's <laughs> such a great that was such a great book. Yes. Oh my mm -hmm. gosh. I believe Sarah recommended that one first for us. <laughs> and then that was a great buddy read discussion too. But yeah, mm -hmm. just absolutely loved everything about it. Ashley, what is your YA pick? I have really been wavering about whether to say a different one. Like you said, Sarah, I've read a ton of really great YA this year. So while I feel like I've said before that not that my reading suffered, just that it leaned a certain way, I think, throughout the year. But I read some really great YA books. But one that I read early on in the year and raved about when I read it, but I just want to bring it back to the surface here in 2022, is Randy Pink's Angel of Greenwood. So the award I gave this one is an amazing historical fiction book focused on an important U.S. event. And this centers on Greenwood was actually the community. I did not know this. So I'm just telling listeners who also might not be aware that Greenwood was the community during the Tulsa riots 
the massacre that happened in Tulsa, Greenwood was the community that was hit by that. And Angel of Greenwood centers on the time leading up to the Tulsa massacre. And you as the reader know early on what is coming because of the way that Pink tells the story, it's counting down toward that day. So you know it's coming, but Angel and Isaiah, the two characters at the center of the story, do not. And what I love, there were so many things I loved about this book. I just think it was brilliant. It came out. I think it was in January of 2021. So it is still a pretty recent book, but I just wanted to highlight it because I just think it was absolutely brilliant. And I it is one that I think has kind of been underrepresented. I haven't seen it as prominently as some other great books that I saw come out in 2021. So I just wanted to circle back to it because of all the things I read, it was one of the most impactful. For one thing, I was, I mean, embarrassingly ignorant about what happened in Tulsa. I mean, like I said, for one thing, I didn't know the community was Greenwood and I didn't really know that much about it. And what I think that I love, uh, there are a couple of things I really loved about the book. One is that in a lot of ways, this is a romance story of a young love coming of age kind of book. And that's really the center of what's happening. Angel has a lot going on. Her family, her father is sick. Her financial situation is struggling. And she is really focused on that. And she also is a huge follower of Booker T. Washington. So this is 1921. That's when the massacre occurred. And so Booker T. Washington and W.E.B. Du Bois are huge figures in the Black community, especially at the time, and are prominent leaders at the time in general. And so because of that, of course, both of both Isaiah and Angel are influenced by these prominent leaders. So she is a follower of Booker T. Washington. And she also is a bit of a loner. I mean, she really is very focused on what she needs to do for her family. She is a great student, but she has a lot of responsibilities in the community. And so she's really focused on that. Isaiah is a bit of a troublemaker. He is kind of the sidekick of somebody who's into a lot of trouble a lot of the time. And so he has a very different attitude towards school than Angel does. And yet he is a really strong follower of W.B. Du Bois. And so they are kind of forced into a situation where they have to deal with each other. Otherwise, you know, they're pretty much an opposite situation and they would not have had a reason to get to know each other. But because of this work study kind of situation that comes up, they get to know each other. So there were several things I love. Number one, I absolutely love this, this beautiful budding romance story of these two very different characters with very different lives who come to understand each other in a different way and kind of get to know each other. And then also I love, there's a lot of really great discussion of Booker T. Washington's ideas and W.B. Du Bois' ideas and what that was like at the time. But I think it's also like really educational to people, particularly to teens who are reading the book and might not know a lot about, they might know that those are both prominent people, but they don't necessarily know what their ideas were or why they were important. And I think that Pink in a very authentic and integrated way brings that part of the history into the story. And I thought that was really remarkable. And then the other really important thing is that, again, this is not a book about the riots and the massacre, but everything is pointing toward where that does happen. And I loved all of the way that fit in the sense that, of course, for the people in that community, they did not know that this thing was coming. And so I think it's really powerful to see how it's a thriving Black community. Everyone it has this, you know, not everyone, again, Angel's family is struggling financially, but a lot of people are very successful and accomplished and happy. And it's this awesome sense of community. And then there is an onslaught of this horrible atrocity that happens. And then we see kind of the aftermath of what that is like after the white community comes in and attacks. And it actually shows what the massacre is like. And so you get some of the historical aspect there as well. And then what the aftermath is like for the Greenwood community. So I just think all of that is really powerful and beautiful. And it was just a great book. It was a great book. I really enjoyed reading it. And I think it spoke to a really important historical event that I think is underrepresented in our history books and certainly something that a lot of teens don't know a lot about, but also just great. So that is Randy Pink's Angel of Greenwood. And I just want to say one more time for the end of 2021, 
that I absolutely loved that book. <laughs> I know. I still have not read that one and I've got to. I wanted to read it since you wrote your review of it at the beginning of the year, but yeah, I just have not gotten to it yet. Well, listeners, we are eager to hear awards that you would give to books from 2021. So we would love to hear anything about that. You can hit us up on social media for that at Underbridge Pod, or you can drop us an email at underbridgepod at gmail.com. We always love hearing what you thought about about the year. And again, it doesn't have to be your most favorite book from the year. We all feel a lot of pressure for that, but <laughs> it can just be one that you found award worthy. We wanted to end today with our Give Me One, and it is a non-bookish award for 2021. So Sarah, what's your non-bookish award for 2021? My non-bookish award for 2021 is In Good Taste Wine Tasting Boxes. I wanted to do this one because when my family went on vacation, my whole family went on vacation last summer, we didn't really go out a lot of places. We stayed at our, our condominium for the most part and just did things together. And so I ordered the wine tasting boxes and the adults there for two evenings. We sat around the table and we read the wine. I read the wine tasting cards and everybody tasted it and it was just a lot of fun and I think if you are not going out still a lot or if you even if you want to do something really fun at home or with a group they're good wines and it's just really fun to do that together and I will say that when you order the box I think you get eight or nine bottles and I mean and it is a I mean it's not a whole bottle of wine but it is a pretty decent pour so you we were able to do a tasting for seven adults and it was plenty. So it was a lot of fun. And I just think that we need those types of things in our life. So that's what I, that's my award for the, for 2021. That sounds so fun. Oh, it was really cool. fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I would like to see one of those in our future. Maybe we can, uh -huh. <laughs> Maybe we can do, yes. that, do that together. <laughs> we'll report back on how it went. <laughs> Jen, what about you? What's your non-bookish award for 2021? So I really had a hard time with this one at choice as always, but I decided to talk about pop culture happy hour. And that is a daily podcast from NPR that is just this constant presence in my life. I love, I, I listen to several daily podcasts, but this is the one I always listen to first because it just makes me happy to hear these really smart people talking about pop culture. And so when I saw In the Heights, which was something I debated talking about, I cannot wait to hear what they said about the movie In the Heights. When I watched Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings, you know, I, I wanted to hear their take on it. And it also, they'll, they'll play back episodes sometimes. So like they had an episode or they'll do tributes to back shows. So they had an episode about happy endings, which I had never watched. So I went back and binged those three seasons of happy endings and love that. So I feel like so many of the things I considered as favorites, thinking about them through the lens of pop culture happy hour made those favorites better. So that is my pick. Oh, I love that. That's fun. Yeah, it's so much fun. It's a great one. How about you, Ashley? So it will probably surprise no one that I think my non, Sarah's laughing. She's like, I know what it is. I think my non-bookish award for 2021 has to go to bullet journaling. So I have talked about that a lot on here. I've shared blog posts about it, but I, it, it was a constant for me and a year that had a lot of inconsistency. And so I just really love it. I've talked before about why I think it's so powerful, but I love just like Instagram with the bookstagram community. There is a bullet journal community too on Instagram and I'm not as plugged into it, but I still feel that sense of community of other people doing the same thing, sharing ideas and creating and using that creativity as an outlet. And for me, that's just been great. So yeah, I have to go with that one as that was a new fit for me right before 2021 started. And it has just been a great fit and something I plan to continue. So I'm going to go with bullet journaling. Yay. I predicted that in my head. <laughs> uh -huh. I always love seeing your spreads on Bookstagram. Me too. It's, yeah, it looks so beautiful. It's really fun. And just, yeah, something that, again, it, it provides some consistency. I didn't know how much I needed that, but I think it is a sense of routine and also a lot of fun. So yeah, it was a good fit. Well, listeners, we hope you enjoyed our somewhat long-winded 
take on <laughs> on our awards. It is really tough to narrow it down. I know it was tough for each of us individually, and then it's hard. You know, there's just so many. There's so many we read together that we really I loved this year. There are ones we did for buddy reads, but also for our book club that I definitely could pick as my award winners. So we'd love to hear from you which ones you liked. And thanks so much for listening. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Unabridged Pod or on the web at unabridgedpod.com for ways to support us. To get more involved, you can sign up for our newsletter, join a buddy read, or become an ambassador. Thanks for listening to Unabridged.